Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home. 
two platforms. all blessed greetings and salutations, revelations, and manifestations. You are now sitting live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience with the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritual practitioner, author, and advisor, celebrity psychic reader, Elagun Oloye Kudu Bokor, sharing with you all spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a pan-African world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test, and one of the great divine mysteries of this life cycle. This personal constant prayer, my, my mantra, my affirmation, and my reverberation. And it is the personal, ever living reality. It's crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works, my ultimate demonstration along this divine, all living life and journey. It is how I. The divine prince makes sense out of all that we are challenged with here on our daily existence on Mother Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding. The place where I begin, the place where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny. I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And I say, I say, I say, I greet all of you collectively, individually, really, now broadcasting on two platforms simultaneously. As always, please forgive anyone on YouTube Live. I'll do my best to fit and repair and address that. Reminding you that you can do more than just listen. You can call in at 845-277-9143. Press the number one on your telephone keypad, and I'll be able to answer and respond to your questions, comments, and requests live. Be mindful that if you're using chat in Blog Talk Radio or you're using chat here in YouTube Live, do type your questions, comments, and requests in all capital letters. That makes it easier for me to separate it from the rest of our general conversation. Greetings to T. Warner and Aquisi Kwan. Please forgive me if I'm not pronouncing your name right. Aquisi Kwan and Mark Richard for being live with me now in the YouTube chat. And I invite you to participate in the show. 
type your your questions in all caps, and I'll be able to see it and distinguish it clearly without leaning too much into the screen or without putting my eyeglasses on. I want to, again, address that revolutionary hoodoo, New Orleans hoodoo secrets and recipes, is just getting started. The deletion of 30 episodes of the show from the archive in YouTube Live was totally accidental. Um, I was attempting to erase the three misfires that we started on Friday, and somehow in the process, apparently agreed to it, and then deleted, by mistake, 30 episodes from the live archive that can never be gotten back. Um, if you download them, great. Email them to me. <laughs> Um, forever. The Blog Talk Radio archive is fine. Um, what went into the archive is there, and, and so we're forward. Uh, again, all is a blessing. All is a blessing. Everything happens for a reason, and it's season, and it's due time. And I, I play the hand that I'm dealt. My elders taught me that. I play the hand that I, I'm dealt. I don't try to change the game. If you've misunderstood me to be trying to change the game, I'm not. I come from a very traditional, historically documented, um, some might say conservative place as it relates to what voodoo is and how I operate voodoo. Um, I am a little bit more open and a little bit more liberal to technology than many people who are operating within the community. And before I get too far ahead of myself, I always want to acknowledge, give praise, give thanks, give honor to the great and mighty ancestors on whose shoulders we now stand. For without them, without them, I wouldn't be here. And I would not, therefore, have a platform in which to speak and represent. Elagoon means to represent and to act service to the dead, the ancestors. And so I'm grateful for that. I take great responsibility. I take great um, humility. I take great respect in representing that and then teaching that in a way that it grows and continues to grow within our community. I would love to see some of these abandoned buildings, some of these abandoned church spaces, converted into ancestral centers, converted into cultural centers, a place where we all come together, irregardless of shade, irregardless of family name, or indeed we all have ancestors, many of us are united, if not all of us are united through our ancestors. If you've not done that work, I invite you to do so. If you not, have not been one to get on board with the Ancestry.com, the 23andMe, and there are many others that are now growing in popularity and gaining copies, DNA copies in which to compare. Um, those are just the two that I'm most familiar with. Uh, I invite you to take that journey with us. It's a very powerful journey, very eye-opening, conscious-opening journey. And in many ways, for me, it was reaffirming of the Buddha. It reaffirmed what I already felt, what I already sensed, 
with my family members that are said and talked about, but both pro and con. Um, there's light darkness in all things. And so the idealism that we create a life now in this space that, that is free of challenge is just an ideology. It's, it's not based in reality and truth. This life mirrors the yin yang symbol. That dark and that light. And even in the dark and the light, there's that little circle there that has the opposite, the reflecting polarity represented in it. Suggesting that there's a doorway, there's a black hole, there's a, a wormhole in, in space that allows us to move from one dimensional space to the other. The fact that science is just getting aware of that and, and, and getting some mobility in that does not erase the centuries of documented spiritual work that has been done in that very realm. Uh, from all cultures, from many cultures, from many places on the planet, from the, the enhanced dream state to the, the ayahuasca, you know, and other plant-based hallucinogenic experiences, which I've never done, by the way. I don't need that, so I've never done that. Um, and there are, are, are herbs and plants that already exist that are available that also open up channels in your 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th chakra areas, 11th chakra areas. It was able to demonstrate mathematically that we exist in at least 11 dimensional time spaces. That's string theory, by the way, if you want to string theory, then indeed we operate beyond seven chakras. We would have to in order to have the very reality that we live in today. Um, as with many things in the Arisha romance, in the sort of uh, commercial aspects of what New stuff as um, things are often reduced to what's general, what's most generic, what's most accessible to the, the largest percentage of people. Even across language, there is, by the way, just, you know, politics and, and cultural and racial um, phenomena. But, but even in terms of language dynamics, uh, people will often reduce information down to its most common denominator. And you're trimming away much of the detail that holds up what makes sense us when we're operating in the spirit realm. So often I will operate between talking about quantum uh, metaphysics and, and alien technology and mathematics uh, to talking about Arisha or, or talking about voodoo, voodoo ethnic specific things only to encourage my greater audience because indeed there is a great audience. Um, often uh, Give you the magnitude given reach um, to these forms um, that is logical, but also you to
Greetings, Blog Talk Radio. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties in terms of uh, losing my mic and then the buffering that's going on in YouTube. So welcome back, Blog Talk Radio. Um, I apologize for the silence. And so, yes, we oversimplify who and what Shango is, who and what Oya is, who, who and what you know, um, Eshu is. Um, and we have popularized, romanticized the deities and imagery. Baron Sam, Sam D is one, of which I'm, I'm guilty of portraying um, for Hollywood, in commercials, in movies. But it's also why I do this show, to make a clear distinction between what is, Im- Im- what is imitation, what is creativity, what is imagination, what is movie, what is novel writing versus what is active practice and participation within these traditions. And with the aid of technology, two-edged sword as it is, um, and now we have young people who have access to information that 25 years ago you would have had to seek out. And in order to seek out something, you know, you have to have some knowledge of what it is that you're seeking. So much of the language even within Orisha, within Loa, within Boudon, um, wasn't even popularized then. So, so people couldn't go to their librarian and say, I'm looking for a book on Orisha. People couldn't go to their librarian um, and look on and look up a book on what Akpatebi is. But these words are now very common, very easy to access, to the point that everyone is Akpatebi on Instagram. Everyone is Hugan on Instagram. Everyone is Babala Babala on Instagram. Everyone is Iya on Instagram. And very few people, particularly the younger you are, are willing to do the work, the homework, to look into background, to look into details, to look into patterns, to see what the history of a particular person, place, or thing is. Um, so that's important. If you're 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 consistently going to do the self-initiating self-reading, you know, book-type approach to these traditions as opposed to taking a um, hands-on access relationship. Uh, Kiona, uh, thank you so much for your your comments and your responses, which leads me to believe that the buffering, to some degree, has has stopped or cleared up. Um, So I appreciate that. I appreciate everyone now in the live chat to please Type your questions, comments, and requests that you wish me to respond to in all capital letters. I'll be more than happy to do so. T. Warner, these Orisha and other deities can show up in your dream state, and then there's a language that's being used that is often uh, symbolic to that particular power, that particular deity. Uh, that is also why my answers, my response to Arisha communicating with us in, in a dream, it seems a little bit complex because 
you know, Oya has her language. Oshun has her language. Eshu has a language. And then these Orisha have passed, particularly on this side of the Atlantic, when we're looking at Lukomi, Palo, Santeria, uh, the expression of Orisha south of the border, Maria Leonza in Venezuela, uh, Candable in Brazil. Um, and forgive me for not knowing all the ethnic names of the tradition, but this then shows up in Gerfuna among the Hondurians. It shows up in Panama. It shows up in many locations, Belize. Jamaica in many manifestations, and then we have to look at the words, the linguistics that are being used within the traditions, within communicating with these deities, these powers, the symbols that they show up in, colors that they often are represented in. And if you're hell-bent on trusting all the books, uh, some of which have been authored by people that I love dearly, um, you're, you're going to be really confused. You're going to be greatly confused. It's going to be less than a 5%er who's going to be able to make sense of what's happening with all this synchronization and, and uh, appropriation, of course, but um, there's another word we use alongside synchronizing, uh, amalgamation, the amalgamizing of one culture to another one food taste with another, one one religious belief system with another, to then create something that is just a little bit new, a little bit different. So when you say Orisha communicating in a dream specifically, Orisha have a language. Orisha have a symbolism. Orisha have certain things that they avoid that are taboo, uh, that they want, that are helpful. And that, too, would show up to some degree in the dream representation um, and then how you would then interpret that. I also would not suggest trying to interpret it without consulting um, Arisha priests, for instance, um, if not a Babalao, um, Arisha practitioner who understands Marin Delagoon, who understands Fa, who understands Odu, who can then translate that in a way that makes sense, that's cohesive, but also doesn't detour in in any way from the tradition. Um, And and, and when I say tradition, it's not a, a binding sort of thing, other than it holds the truths together. Truths are only relative to to spiritual understanding. That's it. Truths have no power, have no meaning if there's no inner standing. So the the uh, in, inhibited individual, the handicapped individual, the um, unaware individual, save the ignorant individual, operates with no knowledge of truth, no knowledge of understanding, let alone understanding. Try having a conversation with someone who's full-on drunk. 
try having conversation with someone who's in the throes of their mental health in a way that's, that, that's affecting their communication. There's no truth there. Um, so I say spiritual knowledge and power lies in its efficacy and its ability to provide and produce manifesting, powerful, lasting, reliable results here and now, not in the afterlife, not after we die, here and now in this most present moment in time space. Otherwise, it's just ego. Otherwise, it's just foolishness. Otherwise, it's just another rule to be broken, to be unseen, to be stepped over, um, lest we're talking about deliberate appropriation, deliberate bastardization. So we, we humble ourselves to all forms of science every day. We humble ourselves to gravity. We, we humble ourselves to our relationship to air. We humble ourselves to our relationship to food, lest you starve. But we, we struggle with intellect. We struggle with spirit. And I think that's a part of what makes us perfectly um, flawed divine creation in that we are more than one thing in inhabiting this, this biochemical, uh, organic, carbon-based, you know, shell of a body. It is indeed that which is least touchable about us that makes us most human, that makes us most individualistic, that makes us who and what we are. So the development of mind and spirit and heart and, and higher chakra inner, centered energies is why we're here in the first place. It's why I say this is a test. It's why I say this is an illusion. Some say, what is, what is the question of life? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What is our purpose? Is our purpose indeed to eat what we eat and do what we do and satisfy the flesh until the flesh can't survive that anymore? until our time comes. You know, we've all heard, at least in my community, you have to die of something. But the worst thing to die of is ignorance. It's to die at your own hands. It's to die when you don't have to. It's to die unfinished, incomplete, with things still yet to do. Because this is indeed what, what, brings us back into the recycling and, re and reincarnation process. The idea, the notion that we are, have incomplete work to do. I don't know if you all can see it, but I'm having some orbs flying around me right now. Um, I don't, so I don't know if you all can, can see it or if it's showing up on camera. Uh, but indeed, we are here to fulfill a higher purpose something greater than ourselves, something greater than flesh itself. And it doesn't separate us from, from the higher truths. And indeed, we're there. We're in it fully, should be in it fully, to experience it as a God would. But if your chakras are blocked up, if your heart is blocked up, if your, your throat chakra and your mouth is blocked up, 
If your third eye is, is closed and shut or, or, or foggy or got cataracts on it, if your seventh chakra and, your, and those chakras higher than seven are not in operation, then you're only living in your animal nature. You're only living in your most basic human nature, which is survival. And when we look at nature, survival of the fittest, the the uh, strong, uh, aggressing the weak, you know, in, in the animal kingdom or the insect kingdom, uh, for more than just meat or substance, competition, um, mating rituals, um, where antelopes, for instance, will will bash each other, you know, until somebody gives or dies in the process. Um, we like to think that the human is higher than that, is better somehow than that. And indeed, we are and should be because of our God nature, because of our goddess embodied nature. That part of us that is the breath from the spirit of the Most High, whatever you call him the Most High, Olodomare, Mawolisa, some of the names that I like to use in, in describing mm. the most high. Uh, so that has been breathed into us. That has been inherited to us. It is divinely innate and it's divinely inherent. So one of our greatest jobs for being here is the development of our access to those higher powers, those higher skills and then manifesting that within our own lives and then in the world around us. Because, indeed, if, if, if you're healthy, happy, strong, thriving, living, giving, creating, recreating, producing, then it has to affect others around you. Um, so there's no way to operate in this in isolation. There just isn't uh, if you're operating in truth. And again, truth is relative to sanity. Truth is relative to sobriety. Truth is relative to wholeness of both mind and body. Did you know that illness in your body can affect how you think, how you feel, how you show up emotionally on any given day, uh, how you wish to interact or, or not interact with the populace on any given day? So, so we have enough work to do than to throw stones and create havoc um, in the lives of others, which only reproduces, which only shows up uh, in, in the lives of the stone thrower, in the lives of the, the, the persons who are here to really just do evil and create evil. And in our previous discussions, understand you can't even revive that in the archive now. So almost everything I talk about now is going to be new in terms of the blog talk radio and the YouTube live archive, uh, our interaction with Jen and demon, as well as angel and, and, and spirits and voodoos and Loa and Orisha and, and the dead uh, and ancestors because the dead and ancestors are not exactly the same thing. When we talk about ancestors, we talk about evolved spirits, higher vibrating spirits, often who did powerful work while they were living, who continue to go on into Orun or heaven, 
uh, whatever your ethnic language for heaven is and continue to influence us in powerful, great ways. Uh, then you have your dead in Yoruba, that would be Egun, and your ascended dead, Egungu. And your dead is anybody dead that you know, the dead. Uh, usually the most closest to you, people that you knew personally or were in your bloodline. Maybe you didn't know grandma or granddad or cousin so well personally, but they are an Egun in your bloodline, in your lineage now. And your Egungoons are often, again, these celebrated figures, these elevated figures, often in, in life, but indeed who go on, much like how the Catholics view saints and who qualifies and uh, to, to enter sainthood. And I, and I think part of that process, because I've never been Catholic, but I'm well-versed to some degree in Catholicism, um, is the ability to produce and reproduce miracles after a person has transcended. And there's a period, um, not necessarily purgatory, but there's a, a period, a temporal, temporary period of time in which a soul has to be reconditioned after surviving life on earth. And so we don't expect Egun or the dead to, you know, be ready to communicate with you right away. Now, we know that that happens. When we, when we talk about ghosts and spirits, uh, often in a, in a spooky Halloween context, but even in, in a real-world context, many of you have ghost stories from within your family, particularly uh, around illnesses, people who are sick, struggling with their sickness, maybe have been given uh, a diagnosis of a certain amount of time to live, uh, people who spirits feel something has to be conveyed, but their bodies are not necessarily in condition to convey the message. Uh, we hear stories of uh, spirits, ghosts, hanging around after, during the funeral, in close proximity to the deceased person making their transition. So we know that the dead have been known to communicate relatively quickly. But generally speaking, the dead will pass on, make their transition. There will be a time period. And, and the time period varies from person to person for where you don't get movement, you don't get communication, you don't get direct interaction with the dead. Um, and people struggle with that sometimes in their bereavement and then seek people like me and others to communicate with the dead, find out if there's some message uh, that the dead is, is seeking to communicate, say to them. And so I often ask that people mourn your loss, grieve your bereavement, but give yourself 90 days. Give yourself 90 days before you are struggling with the idea of the dead or the Egun communicating with you after they've made the transition. In Haitian voodoo, this concept of Gede. But Gede is always said to show up uninvited. Save for Gede's manifestation in New Orleans culture. In Haitian culture, 
Gede is not seen as quite as jovial and party oriented and celebratory, uh, and but it's seen more as a as a as a corpse, as a living corpse, and so often the practitioner will be wrapped and swabbed and um, powder applied, uh, giving the appearance of of death, um, laid out uh, in in a coffin or, or in a coffin like state, giving a sense of death. Um, but Gade often is representative of what is unsettled in your bloodline, what is unsettled among the dead. So they often show up uninvited, a bit provocative, uh, sometimes overtly sexual, sometimes uh, overtly adult-like uh, liquor and cigarettes and, and cussing and, and, and pulling out the skeleton from within your family out, out of the closet is a, a more Haitian-like representation often of Gede and how we see Gede depicted in Haitian voodoo ceremony. But I use Gede to emphasize that there are indeed some members of our family who we are not invoking, who we are not calling in when we feed ancestors, when we're feeding the dead. And indeed, people who are problematic, people who, who brought harm, people who committed great crimes, people who did things that we don't want duplicated. We don't want as a part of the generational curse, if you will, of the bloodline. And those of us who are living right now have a unique opportunity to break all generational curses, to break them and, and to have them not continue on to your children and your grandchildren and into the next generation. But, but we have to be willing to do the work. I appreciate you uh, in my live chat, please do type your questions, comments, and requests that you wish me to respond to, as Elizabeth has done, in the chat box, and I will be more than happy to respond to you live on air. Um, Block Talk Radio, everything should be fine. Um, those of you who are listening to me now on the phone lines, do press the number one at 845 then press the number one when you want me to unmute your mic. Otherwise, you also can type your questions or comments in all capital letters, and I'll be more than happy to be responsible. Um, let's see. Um, I saw Elizabeth, and now I don't. So my screen moved. Okay. I thought for sure the next question was from Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, uh, let me come back to you. I believe I'm seeing Aquise. Are Set and Eshu the same deity? Same with Tiru and Shango. And Asar and Obasalat. First of all, I'm quite familiar with the idea and the concept. In fact, there's a book. Wow. There's a book that describes Moses and Aaron as being Akhenaten from Kemet. And the idea that um, much of the story has been sort of corrupted and retold sort of erase the black presence 
to to erase the truth of that connection. I also believe that voodoo is the first organized religion in the world. Um, now, having said that, I believe it has its roots in Kemet and Kemetic magic. So we say voodoo is the first organized religion in the world, I believe, because there are too many that are willing to say Egypt had no religion, because that's how it's been taught to us. Egypt had no religion. Kemet had no religion. All they had was Heka. That's what we say. Now, another way to say it is Egypt had no word for religion. But they absolutely had a religious attitude towards their gods and their practices and their deities and their rituals and their sun and their moon cycles and, and how things operated. That was part of the controversy behind Akhenaten was he's uh, eliminating the importance of other deities and, and, and teaching this new religion of one god, monotheism. So there are those who would credit Egypt and Akhenaten and Nefertiti in particular for introducing monotheism to the world, the, the one god religion, not Christianity, not Islam, not, uh, you know, uh, Judaism, but that Akhenaten indeed was the one to teach the world uh, monotheism. So if that's the case, why isn't Akhenaten's name in the Bible? <laughs> why not, you know, and who indeed then was the Pharaoh, which is also contested, who indeed was the Pharaoh, if at all, who who allowed his army to be drowned in a reed sea, R-E-E-D. We say the Red Sea, but it's a reed sea, R-E-E-D, the reed sea. If you understand your geology and you understand your history and you understand the dynamics of the land in that region, so, so we we are now to believe that this army was drowned in a reed sea that, that wasn't but so deep in terms of, of water level. So I believe there's absolutely some connection there. There's some correlation there. And that as these deities spread into other parts of the world, another reason why I encourage um, Quasi, that my viewers and listeners have their DNA done, uh, particularly Ancestry.com. Also, um, 23andMe, they both have this map that allows you to see the movement and progression of DNA, and particularly your DNA, in the world. So if we drew a timeline, particularly a linear timeline, the way we like to think in the West, in a linear timeline, and go back in time, you might find that your oldest living ancestors might actually be Asian or or native to the Americas or, or something other than Africa or your perceived present racial state. There are other ethnic bloodlines that show up uh, in your DNA. So I believe as the Egyptian deities spread, and some would even say, uh, I'm crazy, there's some connection to that and 
destructive cycles that had taken place in the world. For instance, the flooding, uh, which is is said to have been to get rid of the alien technology and the misformed life, you know, like centaurs and things of that nature, unicorns that existed on the planet. Um, That's my story. Um, But also um, the loss of Atlantis, the loss of Lemuria, the loss of high technology that would mirror Kemet in ancient Egypt, um, and then it spread to other parts of the world to then be given different names or to be misinterpreted technology, misinterpreted uh, spirit practices. So, so um, there's some connection, some correlation to, to thinking that way. The danger, Quasi, is in absolute comparison because you can't then make absolute comparisons. Um, we're talking about whole lifestyle, culture, food, oils, incense, herb, what was available to and a part of the comedic practice versus what was available to and, and as a part of, of the now Orisha practice. Well, that's a great question and um, absolutely something that should be explored even, even further. Um, Kiona says, I'm not showing on camera, but I still have uh, many viewers, um, a few dozen viewers. Um, so, so maybe it was temporary. I, I don't know. Um, but, but thank you for that, uh, Kiona. Let me know if, if there's a problem with the camera. Um, anyone else who's in chat, anyone else who's viewing me now, pop into chat just long enough to let me know the quality of, of, of the video. Uh, the next question, Elizabeth asks, is voodoo spirituality restricted and limited to a specific traditional group or community? Um, yes and no. We have to first examine that voodoo is West African. Uh, and I commonly say this. I said this on uh, a documentary that I filmed recently that'll be on television soon that voodoo first is West African. Now, in the context of what I just said, it's the oldest world religion. It absolutely has some some connection to some connotation with Egyptian magic and how we perceive Egyptian magic. So we know that there's uh, amalgamation and the synchronization that has taken place, even in the formalization of what we know today as voodoo. Then there's that voodoo that made its way through the Middle Passage to the Americas, which would not have happened without colonialism and slavery. So now we're reintroducing a new group of people to our practice, to voodoo, what voodoo is. And it, and it is now becoming something else. Hoodoo, Obeya, uh, Volker work here in, in the, in the Americas, uh, root work in Conjure, et cetera. And as this continues to happen, people lose connection to the truth, the history, or choose to carve away the truth. In the history, I also, um, beloved uh, Elizabeth, suggest all. Well, it's more than a suggestion with my godchildren. 
and, and many of my clients that you have DNA done um, and find out what exactly is your connection to voodoo. Because it's one thing to look at voodoo and Orisha and many other West African practices as just being something magical that's, you know, from a scientific perspective, anyone can mix these sort of ingredients together. We're negating that these traditions are, are built on ancestral honor and worship. And so I suggested a book that I'm reading right now earlier in the show about Shango, for instance. Read this book, Shango in Africa. Um, and the, Shango in Africa and the African diaspora. Uh, there's no ebook available for, for this. There's only a print book available. You can get a brief view of the book and what's in the book by using uh, Google Books. And that's one place, by the way, where I do have an active library, an active bookshelf. People ask, what should I read? What should I be reading? Look at my Google Books. Um, you'll find out that it's hundreds, maybe even thousands of books. So, so no, there's no one book or no dozen books or no handful of books that you can read and get some clear understanding of how these traditions work. But in the reading of Shango in Africa and the African Diaspora, uh, edited by Joel E. Tishkin, Toyen Fala Falola, Toyen Falola, and Akin Tunde, Akin Yemi, uh, through the Indiana University Press. And it gives you what we call Oriki in Yoruba, uh, poems, praise songs that give us the true nature of many of these uh, deities. And it's also complementary to the Odu within these, within these traditions. So Loa and, and, and the voodoo spirits are accessed a little bit differently. When we think of voodoo from a West African perspective, Benin, Togo, regions in Ghana, where we still find Fon and Eve people, uh, Ghana, regions in Ghana, uh, where, where these people still survive today and the practice survives today. Um, so we have to look at lineage, ancestry, DNA, it, it makes as much sense, Elizabeth, uh, to me, my opinion, as me trying to access Italian deities or ancient um, British deities, for instance, if that's not present in my bloodline, um, and, and to what degree is it showing up uh, uh, in an authentic way. I'm now I'm 80, almost 85% African, but I have European ancestry. But I have not made that my larger focal point. And I believe if I did, um, Elizabeth, people would look at me oddly. People would question me. People would criticize me uh, even more than the criticism uh, that I deal with today. Uh, forgive me, viewers, for looking off, but I'm actually looking at chat when I'm looking off. The, the chat box scrolls to the right of the screen, and so I'm trying to keep track 
uh, of the chat and the questions that are asked and, and not lose order. Uh, that's a great question, Elizabeth. If I could elaborate, please respond, and, and, I'll, and I'll say more. Um, Kiona has typed, many are mixing and confusing paths. The left-hand path, a cult, archetype, aren't the same as ATR deity. Um, Right-hand path, um, absolutely uh, there's some truth to this. Um, there's even some truth to what the 144,000 really is, um, what that means. Uh, who five percenters truly are, um, and what that means, and, and the people on earth who carry this knowledge, this higher knowledge, and are then operating in it. And I often describe it like, you know, carrying the the, the blueprint to bomb making, you know, atomic and nuclear power. Um, it's something that's dangerous in the wrong hand something that's dangerous in the hands of someone who's operating from ego. It's dangerous from a place of someone who's operating from carnality, uh, from fleshly position. Um, get a Kiona are and can be viewed as fun, uh, particularly in, in, in Louisiana context, but, but they're kind of scary in, in truth um, in both, Haitian voodoo perspective, but also in the West African context of how they view Egun, Egungun, Galete, masquerading for the dead. And the belief is, is that you inhabit the dead. It's a transpossession. So the human has left their body, and Gede is present. So it's, it's really frightful a little bit. And the belief is, is that they can make contact with you. They can touch you. They can steal your soul. They can capture your soul and your breath and carry you forcibly back to the realm of, of, of the unliving. Um, we have made them accessible to the West by making them a little bit more fun, making them less scary, making them cartoon-worthy, uh, frog and the princess, um, commercial-worthy, advertising, um, entertainment-worthy, horror movies fictional books, um, but in truth and in ceremony, um, they're actually a little bit frightful, uh, to be to be quite honest with you. Uh, uh, yes, DNA is compelling, it's healing. Um, um, I think I'm reading your message correctly. If I'm not, forgive me. I, I see Dana, but I think you're talking about DNA, uh, Mark. So, so help me out with that. Um, yes, type your questions in all capital letters so that I can see them and distinguish them. Um, what is the nature of the ORI? A quasi. Um, to reduce it to its common denominator, we say the head. We say the consciousness. We say it's your God self. And, and Ori, if you don't already know, but, but the other listeners, is Yoruba. It's a Yoruba word. So Ori is said to be first Orisha. Even in the realm or the context of Orisha romance, you've missed 
the idea, not you, Quasi, but the people who are operating in that Orisha romance, that Ori is the first Orisha. Without Ori, you can't operate with any other Orisha, including Eshu. Without Ori, your head is closed, so nothing can be put in there. Does that make sense? Your head is closed, so nothing can, can be put in there. A, a word that's used in the Bible is um, reprobate, that God will make you to be a reprobate mind. And that might not be a direct quote, but it's something close to that. Uh, meaning that you are closed at the head, so you now believe only what you believe. You only believe and accept your truth, and, and nothing else can get in there regardless of evidence and demonstration. A, a story I wanted to mention, it's in the news today. Uh, look up Jesus in Africa, 2019. So I believe it's in Kenya. There's a white guy from Michigan, Montana, from, from somewhere, UK from somewhere, uh, with the stereotypical white Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyed look, who told his friends and family he was taking a trip, a vacation, who's now in Kenya perpetrating to be Jesus, and is doing a Jesus tour throughout Africa, and, and it's said to be all the rage. Uh, it's been quite beneficial to the to the black churches in Africa. Uh, and raising money and bringing out crowds of people to come see and visit white Jesus. So the idea of truth, spiritual power, lies in its efficacy, its ability to manifest lasting, reliable, powerful results. That's how I, that's the prism. I'm going to use this court piece for my prism. That's the prism by which I pass truth through. The prism by which I pass the word through, the prism by which I pass what you say, what I say, the demonstration through is its ability to provide and to produce, produce and to manifest lasting, reliable, tangible results right here and now in this present moment in time space. Because if you see the stories about white Jesus today in Africa, it don't truth doesn't matter in the presence of faith. And there are many people now who are operating in other traditions. I won't use the word religion. Other traditions, other philosophies, other mindsets, other cults who are operating still in faith. You don't like that word. It's a dirty word in today's social media conversation. Religion is a dirty word in today's social media conversation. But many of you are still operating on faith. And so a person who's operating in the retrobate mind or the closed or re-quasi, nothing can get in, not even Orisha. And so you live, the belief is when Ori is not in balance and when Ori is not open, you live in a state of confusion. You live in a state where you cannot properly access your powers greater than your ancestors, because your ancestors are in your blood. Ori is said to be in your head. So your ancestors are in your blood. So, so when one's Ori is closed and, and you've done all possible means to open it, it is your ancestors that are being neglected. It is your ancestors that are not being fed. 
So when people say, how did you end up in voodoo? How did you end up with this crystal mineral thing? I took a journey from evangelical Christianity, growing up in a household with the 33rd, some of you know and understand what that is and what that means, a 33rd Mason, okay, and a mother who was who is still a devout evangelical Christian believer, but but all, almost to a metaphysical perspective. So me and my mom can hold a conversation and it makes sense. My mama can talk her Bible and I can talk my voodoo and we can find a, a, a crossroad where she knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly what she's talking about without either of us having to combat, fight, argue over religion. That's the illusion. Religion is, a, is an illusion. It's, it's not that it's not real. Religion is an illusion, just like prosperity, just like happiness, just like wellness. What does wellness mean? at any given moment in your reality? What does prosperity mean at any given moment in your reality? Happy birthday, Raven Simone. Today is Raven Simone's birthday. Raven Simone is one of the richest black women in America. Okay, so what is prosperity to Raven? What is prosperity to Oprah? What does prosperity mean to you or I? It is relative, it's a relative truth but it's relative to your first place, where you are in the universe at any given moment in time space. So without Ori, Quasi, you can't do anything. And I know in Akan, in Eve, in Fon, there's also the equivalent mm. word idea to Ori and what Ori is. Um, even Komet. Now, Kemet has, has the ab and the ka and the ba in the various parts of, of the physical body, but also the spirit body. And there is a word for the, the head or the higher consciousness. It just escapes me right now. Um, but it's also demonstrated in their usage of gemology. Quartz crystal first, the largest amount of, of objects and materials in ancient Egypt, contained quartz and a very specific type of silicon dioxide clear quartz. It's present in many of the crystals that you can buy today in the shop. It often shows up in great clarity. It's what makes your computer work if you don't already know that and understand. And this, for me, if I must use the word shortcut, because some people are here looking for the shortcut, this is it. If there's a shortcut at all, this is it. But this still requires homework. It requires what I suggested to Elizabeth. Uh, I believe it was Elizabeth that asked the question about Orisha's communicating with you in a dream. Forgive me if that wasn't uh, Elizabeth. Whoever asked that question, I'm speaking to everyone. <laughs> um, clear course is the shortcut. It's a shortcut to getting your Ori together, getting every chakra in your body together. Clear quartz is the multivitamin. Clear quartz is the multi-cleanser. Clear quartz is the multi-elevator in the mineral kingdom. Now, understand that quartz 
has a family. Clear quartz, amethyst, which is purple. This is light purple, like violet, but it should be deep purple. Uh, citrine, which is yellow. Don't confuse it with smoky quartz or irradiated quartz, but it should be golden color. Those are all in the quartz family. But this is the master teacher right here. This will get your head right. And like the piece that I'm holding, it should be unpolished. It should be uncut. This is a single point. It might be a big point, but this is a single point that was removed from a larger cluster. This would have fit right into the cluster. It probably was other points, other terminations within the cluster that grew with it. This is the cluster. It just has smaller points. This is, this is how your quartz crystal grows, just like this. And there are other forms of quartz and how it grows, but I'm not going to mention it all now. I don't want to confuse you with too many things and, and, and too much information. But, but the cluster I showed you in this is typical. Another common deviation from this and this is also natural, uncut. This is uncut. This is this is natural. This grew in the ground like this. It's double terminated, so it has double terminated capabilities. It has a twin where they grew together, so it has twinning capabilities. It's a tabby, meaning it's wider in this plane versus the planes that are on the side for, for both pieces. So this is a tabby. This is a tabby. See that from the side? That's a tabular, tabular crystal. When we say tabby, we mean tabular, like a tablet. Whereas typically a crystal grows a single apex and then kind of grows around in a sort of even or uneven trajectory. But these are natural, unpolished, uncut, meaning man has a food with it other than to get it out of the ground and give it an acid wash. So it has all of its records on the surface as well as what is naturally embedded in the stone present. And this is your shortcut to the head. Now, there's no shortcut to operating, you know, in voodoo or in Orisha or with these traditions. But the quartz is your shortcut to getting your head right, getting your third eye open, getting all your chakras within your body and within your system in alignment and in, and in a place to receive higher information, higher levels of understanding. Um and to be able to operate on higher frequencies, which is often what is being required when we are operating in the realm of spirit. And, and Ori is our personal connection to spirit and the spirit realm. It is our God self operating from within our head. And, and for my regular long-term listeners, you've heard me say God speaks in a soft, still voice. Will not argue with you, won't shout at you, won't speak over you, waits for you to be still, for you to be quiet, 
for you to be paying attention, for you to be centered, and then will speak clearly to you. It won't even speak when you're in, in distress and you're crying and you're emotional and you're raging. That's why when you're crying, emotional, or raging, depressed, in your lower octave, it's harder for you to hear and accept truth. It's harder for you to hear, get up, move around. It's harder for you to hear, drink more water. It's harder for you to hear, you know, it's going to be better tomorrow. Because you're in that place, you've consciously or even subconsciously chosen to lock down or read, and so now nothing can get in. Nothing useful, beneficial, edifying can penetrate someone who has actively closed up, locked up their ori. Um, give me your questions. Please type them in all capital letters in both chat forms. That helps me, that allows me to see them to a greater degree. Um, and Kiona, I'm seeing you say it's unpolished and pointed. Say terminated. It, it sounds like it's single terminated. And if you can, take a picture of it and send that to me. It sounds single terminated. We say terminated, meaning it has one, a point on it, a single point on it. But sometimes even a single terminated crystal, I don't have one right in front of me, will have projections on it. Um, other terminations on, on the body of it. But that sounds like a great piece to, to wear as a talisman. Um, your, your one piece that you're going to use the most that's going to store all your information, including how you operate and work with other stones and crystals, it does not always have to be this big. I just, this is a piece that just works for me. Uh, it's double terminated just like this, except the other point, Kiona, the other termination is hidden uh, within the, the silver. And there's a hole in, in here, not just that goes through, but, but in here that I included in this design because I designed this so that energy could pass directly through that, allowing the double terminated to still operate Un, unimpeded, if you will. Um, so that's a great piece. Double terminators make great um, talismans, um, and single terminator pieces also make great talismans, provided they're the right size. I think and believe and teach that a piece that fits your hand, it could be this size, it could be this size, It could be this size, but a piece that fits your hand makes for the best tools. And I use the word tools specifically. This ain't jewelry. This ain't cute to wear. You know, you can't wear this on your ear. You can't wear this. This is a tool, a tool for, for use on yourself, for use in your practice, for use in others. And others does not necessarily mean that others are present in the room because with interdimensional, intra-dimensional access, with the quartz, you can transmit, teleport, 
energy anywhere you choose, anywhere you consciously focus upon. But something that fits your hand, it's typically going to be the best tool. A clear piece like this is going to be your best tool for meditation, for focused meditation, for visualized meditation for going within, for addressing Ori, for bringing clarity to Ori, and then projecting out the reality, the imagery, the result that you're seeking when you're doing your, your mind work. I like to call it mind work, conscious work, Ori work. This is all a part of that. And being able to Use your mind and increase your emittance of light. The human body can consciously choose to emit light. You just have to choose to do it. You just have to be willing to be able to center yourself. And those of us who practice this can center quickly and more easily. I can center on set. I can center in the middle of the grocery store. I can center in the middle of any event in the middle of any any storm because I practiced it and I programmed it in through mantra, through breath, through repetition, through contact, I programmed it in to my talisman. Now, what separates a talisman from an amulet? My rings might consider, be considered amulets. They operate much like a talisman but they have a temporary program in it that's washed away. Every time I wash my hands, it's it, it cleansed away. I can think it out of the stones. They can be smudged out of the stones. They can be salted out of the stones. But these are typically stones that I use not just for me, but for my interaction with other people. We make hand contact with other people. We project hand contact with other people, even when we don't physically touch them all the time. So an amulet does to some degree what a talisman does, but talisman is more personal. It's personal to you specifically. It is that one stone and a master stone. Some of you understand what I mean when I say a master stone because there's different varieties of quartz. Some of them equal master stones. Uh, record keeper are a master stone, for instance. Quartz that have a window, a diamond-shaped window. Um, this doesn't have it, but it will be right in here on one of these lines, and it, it'll be completely and perfectly diamond-shaped, allowing you to see into uh, the body of the crystal. Uh, this has one, but it's a small one. I was looking for a larger uh, representation. It's right above my finger, but I can't seem to get the light to bounce. There it is. That diamond shape right there is called a window. And in court meditation, we typically use the windows in more guided meditation. Guided meaning you have consciously chosen to go to sin to a particular person, place, or thing, and that energy escapes through the diamond window. Now, this is not quite a diamond. 
because this is leaning a little bit. It's a little longer in the middle and narrower at the top and the bottom. But so too is a tabby cord. This is a tabby cord, tabular cord. On the two sides, it's smaller or even. And then you have, I'm sorry, on the four sides, because you have two on this side and two on this side. But then the window in the middle is wide. And tabulars are used to communicate energy across long distances. So your diamond-shaped window that typically shows up on a court is used to focus energy to a specific person, place, or thing. So any magical tradition that anyone wants to work within, if your body is not vibrating at a particular level, you can't produce that kind of magic. If your body is not emitting light at the ratio, at the vibration that is necessary, the illumination necessary, you can't operate in a mature way in these practices. If your hands, which emit energy, some people are said to have healing hands. Some people are said to have destructive hands. Everything they touch turns to gold, or everything they touch falls apart. All of this is euphemisms, mythological phraseology that we sort of throw around in the spiritual world, in the religious world, that have a much deeper meaning and connotation that we overlook, that we misunderstand, that we don't spend time in deep thought might be another way of looking at meditation because it's more than just clearing your mind and not thinking of anything and, and breathing and, and, and chanting on. But there also, as you grow and you mature, has to be guided, constructive meditation that you do for a particular purpose. So whether that's healing work for yourself and others, for whether that's creation or recreative work for yourself and for others, some of you are trying to bring in prosperity. You do that in your creative meditation. Some of you are trying to bring in wisdom, greater knowledge, greater understanding of what things mean, what religions mean, what crystals, minerals, and stones mean, and ask for demonstration. Challenge every spirit. Challenge every spirit. Is, is it of God? Is it of the devil? Is, is it here to work? To here to confuse and get a deeper understanding, get a deeper meaning behind what we are operating in, what we're using, what we're regurgitating every day in this spiritual, uh, uh, religious, cultural platform that, that shows up in social media by many of us through the demonstration that we we walk in in, in, in relation to voodoo and ATR, traditional African-based religious systems, of which voodoo is under that umbrella. Ancient Egyptian, Kemet, Heka is under that umbrella. Akan is under that umbrella. South African Sangomas are under that umbrella. Um, the Torek of, of North Africa and, and the moving nomadic peoples of North Africa are under that umbrella. We say the Middle East, but it's really North Africa. <laughs> the Suez Canal is man-made, and, and our maps are man-made. So we must ask the ancestors to help us to gain clarity, 
to help us to gain inner standing. I say inner standing because it's more than understanding something and getting under control, under the established meaning of something. But inner standing is when you, you take something into your being, you take the thought, the idea, the information within, and you can understand it from a personal perspective, from your perspective, from the comparison to your archive of, of experience, your archive of knowledge, your application in some cases to, to what's being said or written or viewed. But but that's my uh, definition of what inner standing is, to really understand something from a more personal, um, inward perspective, uh, as opposed to looking and viewing and voyeuring things from the outside, sort of viewing things from the outside and never becoming a part of the culture, never getting involved with the culture, never asking people from that culture, never participating in, in the activities of that culture. And, and this activity goes along with what voodoo is, what Ifa is, what Orisha is. It's a coming together in tradition with a unified understanding about a particular person, place, or thing, or, or force, or subject matter. Uh, before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to make sure I'm not missing questions. Um, Ancestor Odu <clears throat> is asking, may I ask, is labyrinth a good crystal? Labyrinth is a great stone. Um, it's crystallized in that the molecules line up in the same crystallized fashion as happens with uh, clear quartz, except this is in order, meaning one atom or one molecule stacks and then six more stack on top of it, which is why it has six sides and all sides to it, Often six or more windows. It can have more than six windows, especially the uh, the diamond windows, of course. And the seventh is considered that point. In rose quartz, uh, sometimes citron, sometimes massive slabs of, of clear quartz, labradite, the molecules are not quite in order. And so they create slabs of something or rocks or something that can then be tumbled or polished. This is a polished labradite, obviously. You can tell by the mirror effect how the light hits the surface of the stone. It's not rough or pitted. It doesn't show the same uh, dynamic that this piece does uh, at, the, at the surface level. If I can get the, the camera to focus right. There are dips and grooves and lines like a record that run along the surface of, of natural unpolished quartz that can be seen and felt. This is completely polished labradorite. It's a deep, majestic, uh, uh, magical blue 
only when the light passes it from a particular direction. When viewed from another direction, it looks a little more pale, a little more pale, a little more um, muted in color. And you can also see the presence of other minerals within it. The dark spot, for instance, I believe is marcasite. Marcasite, another powerful uh, mineral. And just like vitamins, um, ancestral old dudes, we need them and use them at many levels within our life, within our bodies, within our practice. Um, we walk over them every day. It's, it's in the ground under where we stand sometimes. Um, even in modern locations that you think have been uh, plowed and, and dug up, you're still finding uh, natural stones that are just not polished, that are just not shiny like this, that are covered in, in dirt. Um, even in people's driveways, they're ordering whole driveways of pretty white um, hobble-like stones, and, and, and even rose quartz um, is even being used in that, in that way. So all of these stones have a purpose, have a use. Labradite in particular is about reason, math, science, logic, left brain activity, thoughtful processes, decisions that have to be made. We tend to go to our blue stone for that. Um, it is said, if you are familiar with lapis lazuli, which I don't have a piece of in front of me right now, that the crowns of Egyptian rulers was lined on the inside with lapis lazuli because it kept their heads cool, but it also assisted in processing thoughts and making laws and rules and establishing protocols. It give, gave them logical, balanced reason, left brain activity, which is then projected through the right hand. Um, and right hand establishes rulership, authority, projective magic, if you will. Yes, um, Mark Richard. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, by the way, Mark Richard. Um, the crystal absolutely has to resonate with you, um, with you, and has to connect with you. I, I, I teach, and many books teach, that when you're purchasing your stone, you should, as much as possible, use your left hand because we receive, we draw in energy with our left hand. Look at the stones, walk through your store, walk through the fair, wherever you are, figure out what you feel most drawn to. And if you need to go back, you know, in an hour, in 15 minutes, look at everything else in the store and come back. Check out some other things and come back. And if it continues to call you back, it may very well be the stone that you should have, the stone that resonates with you. As I continue to teach and, and, and as you learn more about what quartz is, you also realize that each individual quartz has a different purpose. This is laser wand. This, this is a tabular quartz with chloride and hematite in it with impeccable clarity. Um, so each piece, also has a different purpose. So sometimes you know 
when you're going in, you're looking for a stone that does a particular thing that uh, 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 facilitates a particular uh, purpose. And other times, a stone just calls to you that knows that you need it, that you're the person that it must travel with. And two, that will be the stone that often you'll, you'll buy your purchase. So how do you activate crystals to feel the full potential effect? Um, thanks, Marcus, um, my favorite person, for uh, checking in with us in the chat. Um, powerful artist from Chicago. Um, you activate them first by, you know, bring them home, or if you already have it, wash it off with cold water. Don't use hot water, cold water. Uh, make sure it's clean, um, and then set with it in your left hand. Now, if it's a, you know, a, a convenient size, Marcus, I strongly suggest that you keep it on you at least 90 days or more. Um, again, it may very well end up being your talisman piece. Um, I often carry this piece in a bag. I said, this is going to be the next piece that I have set in, in silver. It's going to be this, this to me, little tabular uh, single point that has chloride and hematite in it. Chlor uh, chloride shows up as green. Hematite shows up as red or, or sort of this dusty color in, in your quartz. It has strengthening and cleansing properties. And so you want to keep it on you, Marcus, as long as possible preferably 90 days or more. Um, I would keep this in a crocheted bag um, similar to this and keep it on me. Um, and nylon crochet uh, threads uh, are washable, just like your baseball cap are washable. So I can wash this bag as often as I want to. I can wear this in the shower with no problem. In order to keep a stone on you for as long as possible, it's just like building a relationship with a person. You get to know them over time. You get to know more things about them over time, their likes, their dislikes, their moods, um, what affects them, and to what degree. And because we understand from this quantum metaphysical magical perspective that this does everything your computer can do plus some markets. So it's absorbing all that information. And you are also absorbing all its information, even if it's not conscious to you. But the studying of your stone also helps to facilitate. And when I say studying, spending time, meditative time, you might have music going on. It might be quiet. You might be lying in bed. But with good lighting, you might be out in the sun and just look into the stone and just examine what's in the stone. Even if stone is clear as this, there's activity in this in this stone. There are whiffs of smoke in this stone. There are small galaxies in this stone. There is a full double-terminated crystal embedded in the body of this stone. Uh, you may not see it clearly. It might show up as just a refraction of light um, in, in this one particular place on the crystal, but it's a full double terminated, meaning it has a point on both ends like this, just it's small and it's embedded within the 
stone along with the chloride and the hematite. And so that activity also, Marcus, enhances your ability to activate a particular stone and get it to be more effective and more responsive to you and your needs. If I can explain that in any more detail, um, hit me up in the chat and add more to your question. Uh, T. Warner, do crystals hold negative energy if it came from a negative source? Um, it can. It can. Now, this is easy to clean, easy to clear, clear water, sea salt, smudging, vibration can can clear a stone. I can clear a stone with my silver, solid silver, like this. And then reinforce another vibration, another energy into the stone. First through your left hand. Uh, but typically, it's the hardest thing to manipulate is clear quartz. Now, you have some varieties of darker stones, like jet, like black tourmaline, like tiger iron, that have a completely different relationship. Now we're talking about stones, tiger iron, stone, tiger eye, stone, um, black tourmaline. It's, it's crystallized, but we would say it's, it's more of a stone, but it is a crystal. These black striations are, are, are crystal of, it, of itself. It just, it's just not a six-sided structure like our quartz. And black tourmaline is a good example for me to talk about in terms of negative energy because black tourmaline is the only one that can spin it away in either direction because of these striations, because of these wands. This is really a group of wands of tiny needle-like wands that crystallize and adhered together to create bigger pieces, bigger chunks of what we call black tourmaline. Uh, and it can be really big, it can be really massive, or they can be small enough to fit into jewelry uh, or, or in a pouch. Now, some of it you have to be careful because it'll break off. These little pieces, if you rub them rough enough, will begin to, to crumble and break off until you get down to the hardest part of the stone. This has been handled quite a bit, so it's probably not going to break off anymore. If I keep doing this, it's not, I'm not feeling any pieces fall. And I have my keyboard on my lap, so if pieces were falling, I would hear them hit the keyboard. But there's cheaper varieties of this that you buy in a stone, and it's a little fragile, and they will break apart on you. Uh, but but this is the only black stone that actually sends the negativity away. It's the only black stone that does not need to be cleared or purified. Is black tourmaline. It has that enough energy, enough vibration to do that on itself. Another black stone is black onyx. Now black onyx can hold dark energy. Black onyx compared to black obsidian, which is actually a volcanic glass. This is black obsidian. This is black onyx. You really can't tell the difference unless you know what to look for. 
This black obsidian has lines in it, has some iridescent color in it, almost like an eye, almost like if this was in the right light, that eye in the middle would light up green, lavender, pink, almost like an eye looking back at you from your black obsidian. And as I roll it a little bit, you can tell it has some iridation in it. Sometimes it's gold, sometimes it's silver. They call it sheen, golden sheen, silver sheen obsidian. This is actually volcanic glass. Now, it operates like a black hole, and so it draws negative energy out and to it, but it has to then be cleared away with clear quartz. So black obsidian can hold on to negative energy if it's not being cleared, if it's not being purified. Black obsidian, I'm sorry, onyx is denser than the, the piece that I just had, than black obsidian. It's a dense, uh, earthy stone. So it, too, can hold heavy, heavy negative energy, and it has to be cleared. It's also said that it can hold thievery-based energy, um, people who steal uh, 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 a lot or, or or still from you, that energy can settle into black obsidian and can create the window of opportunity for theft and thievery. So it has to be clear. It has to be cleansed. It has to be purified. Uh, tiger iron is a combination of jasper, red jasper, Gold tiger eye, because tiger eye comes in other colors, but this is golden tiger eye. And then that more dense color in the middle kind of looks mirror-like, kind of looks gray-like. It's hematite. This is hematite. And if I drug this polished hematite across a porcelain plate or a sidewalk, which I've done many times, that's why it's kind of dull on the end, it's going to leave a red dust trail, red. This is an iron ore. This is a copper ore. It's going to leave a red dust, dust trail, not metallic, not gray, red. This stone is actually red. So that is present in tiger iron. Now, because of the what Jasper does, the activating power of Jasper, the third eye power of tiger eye, and then the protective electromagnetic power of hematite, this affects negativity. It can, it can call negativity to it, but it then projects it away, blocks it away. So I'm more concerned about negative energy that has to be cleansed, setting up in stones, minerals, granite, marble, we see that in the lobbies of buildings, constantly being cleaned, constantly being washed, constantly being mopped. But it holds energy, both positive and negative. So clear quartz doesn't hold negative energy very well, if at all, particularly in, in, in certain powerful configurations. Um, now, when you start talking about denser quartz, less light passing through it, less clarity, that has to then be cleansed 
and, and purified. I hope I was able to address that question. If I'm not uh, being clear enough, just hit me back again in the uh, chat, T. Warner, uh, and then I'll, I'll respond again to, to your question and anyone else who's asked uh, a question today. Thank you so much for being present for almost two hours with me in the middle of your day at high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time, both on Blog Talk Radio and also in the live chat uh, in both platforms, Blog Talk Radio and uh, YouTube. Joy, fun, happiness is in Blog Talk Radio in the chat. And she's asking, how do you know if there's a curse on you and how do you release it? Uh, again, there's many ways to determine a curse and how to operate with it, in it, what to do about it. Um, joy, fun, happiness, I appreciate your question in the Block Talk Radio chat. Um, first, it's going to be symptomatic. There's going to be things that happen that are not explainable, that are frequent or infrequent, that show up. Uh, in a negative consequence that cannot be described, prescribed to physical illness, uh, anomalies in, in the house or in the environment, for instance. Um, for, for example, we, we know of houses that are said to be cursed and or haunted or some combination of the two. And so things roll oddly on the floor or don't fit still on the floor or move around on the floor and there's no scientific leveling issue that would create that. So everything has to be challenged. Everything has to be checked. Um, a practitioner has to be brought in if you're talking about a curse. And, and if you are talking about a legitimate curse, then there are different types of curses from different uh, sciences, from different uh, spiritual practices that then have to be addressed in order to remove, eliminate, um, get rid of uh, uh, any type of, of curse work. Items can be cursed. Locations can be cursed. People can be cursed. Things can be cursed. People, places, and things can hold a, a curse. Um, people, places, and things can be haunted, if you will. So clarifying something that is a curse, uh, typically by someone who's passed, uh, who, like the Swamp Witch, for instance, uh, Manshack Swamp, or, or, and I don't want to get too deep into it for obvious reasons, um, I'm filming and, and I just signed a contract. Um, uh, places, things, people can be a curse and can be haunted. Um, Generations can be cursed. When we look at the text, for instance, within the Bible, um, whole generations are said to be cursed. Whole, whole ethnic groups of people are, are pointed at for being cursed or accursed. Uh, some people suggest that black people have been accursed um, or said to be accursed or even referenced uh, biblically uh, for a curse of some sort. Uh, and then we see people overcoming curses, overcoming generational bondage, overcoming evils that, that are said to be 
legendary and and lineage based or or, or historically uh, based in a particular person, place, or thing. So it's not an easy question to answer. Uh, it's almost like asking me to diagnose um, a health problem, sight unseen, uh, live on air. Uh, it wouldn't be professional, and, and it would be almost impossible to do. Uh, we would have to look at the circumstances, the situation, the symptoms, the events that are taking place, and then determine if there's a curse, and then the type of curse that is in operation. Uh, gypsies don't emit the same curse as comedic practitioners. Comedic practitioners don't operate in the same level of curse as, as the Obia man or, or the Bokur or, or the voodoo priest um, or, or the Christian for that matter. Uh, the idea that Muslims and Christians and Jews can't curse is just another illusion. <laughs> it's an illusion. It, it, it does not fit with the truth. Uh, we can curse with our eyes. We can curse with our words. We can curse with our thoughts. Some of you sit and watch and observe and have negative thoughts, evil thoughts, wicked thoughts about people and yourself. So it is quite possible to self-curse as well as to curse other people and then to seek uh, removal of that. Um, often the self-curse can be misinterpreted as, as jinn or demon infestation um, for the need to call in an exorcist, if you will. But, but that that's not the same thing as a self-curse. Um, one can curse their own luck, for instance. Uh, if we look at the story of Job in the Bible, his wife asked him to curse God and die to curse your luck, to curse your blessing, to curse this hand that feeds you, this great, mighty uh, uh, superpower, and, and, and just die rather than to continue to suffer under the tragedy that the story of Job speaks of in, in the Bible. And for those of you who aren't familiar, all his children died, all his sons died, all his wives died. I'm sorry, all his uh, daughters died, all his cattle died. Um, his crops didn't survive. He was basically forced to start anew in a, in a Hurricane Katrina sort of way uh, and was told to curse God or asked to curse God by his wife. So we can curse ourselves. You can say, I want to die enough and really do curse yourself. You can give up on life and your body will die. Your spirit and your soul will die. Uh, there are documented examples of this. Uh, it is said that when one spouse passes, particularly elderly or, or aged spouses, and then another spouse dies, you know, within a week, within two weeks, uh, within a month, it's said to be of a broken heart. We, we've heard parents have been said have had heart attacks, strokes after the passing of a child. 90 seconds on my live Blog Talk Radio broadcast. Um, so please do continue to join me, Blog Talk Radio. You can also continue with us in archives if you're still remaining on the phones. It's too late to call in on the phones, so reserve my number, 
for your call-in questions, comments, requests, 845-277-9143. Reserve that for another broadcast, tomorrow's broadcast. Thank you so much in the live chat um, for in Ball Talk Radio, uh, joy, fun, happiness for actually participating and, and asking a question in the live chat. I hope I was able to respond to your question. And, of course, YouTube Live will continue on until I either tire of talking or you all tire of chatting your live questions in the chat in all capital letters so that I can see and respond to them. I am certainly here for you and, and with you in your endeavors. How do I feel about other amplifying stones such as blue appetite? Um, odd. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, I absolutely support them, just like we need uh, vitamin D and vitamin C and and vitamin F and K and and other things that we often don't think about. Um, The things that we get in our leafy green vegetables, the things that we get uh, from kale, from seaweed, uh, uh, high-protein, um, quinoa, you know, we view and should view the science of mineralogy, gemstone work, in a similar fashion. And appetite supports the fifth chakra. It, it supports communication, language, language usage, language meaning. It's also shaped differently. In fact, scaphalite and appetite have a very similar and unique crystal structure. It forms more than six sides, often eight or nine sides. Um, it's unusual for one side to be, you know, extremely large in comparison to the other side. Um, it has a, almost a cubic-like structure to it that lends to communication, team building, um, organization building, design, doing the work of something, drawing something out, mapping something out, creating plans, and then being able to voice them. Appetite supports your other stones and your talisman stones, and doing very specific work with appetite will affect and amplify in in those areas. Uh, greetings, beloved Rob. Thank you so much, and everyone else for returning and being regular viewers and regular chatters and regular participants in my live revolutionary hoodoo, New Orleans hoodoo sequence and recipes. The ancestors are speaking, so I have to respond, and they're reminding you that we had ancestors, we had access, ancestors and access, ancestors with access. To these stones and the knowledge and the power embedded in these stones made the middle passage um, we find mica in, in the common yard in certain parts of the country you can dig up mica you can dig up cloudy rose quartz cloudy chunks of, of quartz moldavite which is also being asked about um, in the chat moldavite is a common Cheap mineral in terms of the market and how it's sold. Um, it often includes other minerals like pyrite, 
uh, hematite, bits of quartz um, are often included in this sort of gumbo of Moldavite. Moldavite often shows up like a gumbo. Um, I've, I've rarely seen, if ever, a, a really good uh, gemstone quality crystal of Moldavite. Um, if so, it would be extremely expensive, and if I've seen it, it, it would have been in the Smithsonian University. I mean the Smithsonian Museum um, in Washington, D.C., the National Smithsonian Art, and, um, not Art, History Museum. The Smithsonian Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. has a gemstone collection which will blow your mind. They have one of the clearest, largest uh, quartz crystal balls in the world. Um, I would often go and sit in there just to use it. Uh, I, I couldn't touch it, but if your mind power, your ori is, is power is on point, uh, you can touch it. Uh, you can manipulate it uh, with with your mind, with your hand. Uh, in the in the spirit realm, um, my rem remote viewer uh, can access a stone like that to their ability. Uh, so Moldavite is a great builder, um, a great strengthening. Stone. Um, that that's a great choice, and it's common. Moldavite is very common. Uh, a lot of costume jewelry um, utilizes uh, moldavite because it's it's really uh, in the cheaper range of stones and, and its availability, particularly for making of of jewelry. Uh, in terms of stones that I would use for work or as tools, um, I, I don't suggest. Uh, jury quality or jury size stone for that, uh, except for the best of stones. I've got some uh, generators, for instance. This is a a generator, meaning it has a flat base in which it sits on either naturally or polished in, but it is a phantom quartz. It has clear quartz caverns in it, and it has hematite present, but much of the hematite has been washed away, leaving empty caverns within the stones, uh, some of which terminate in the top window here. You see that hole? I can actually see down into one of the caverns inside this small generator. This is a great talisman piece. To have that set in gold or silver by your by your jewelry, your preferred jewelry, to then wear around your neck, this would be a great talisman piece. Um, I knew I was going to say something. Um, I, I forgot exactly what it is now. <laughs> but it was a twin internally. There's, there's a crystal on this side, and there's a crystal on this side. And then there's caverns in between it in the middle while it still continues to grow up and, and form this one generator. Um, so small pieces can be, that's, that's my thought, small pieces can be powerful if you know what they are and you know how they operate. This is apophyllite. That quartz is apophyllite. So it obviously grows on a completely different mathematical system. If you look at it on the inside, it has a, perfect diamond shape, 
inside in which the rest of the crystal grows from on the outside. It looks almost like candy, like something edible. This, too, would make a great talisman. Have it set in, in gold. Have it set in silver. It would make a great piece that you can wear and, and not have to worry about it, not have to take it off. You know, or maybe you do take it off, but, you know, it's, it's the go-to piece that maybe you're going to wear each and every day. This is like a supercomputer, this apocalypse. It's said to be one of the third eye stones. Open your third eye, allow you to see greater powers, greater vision, greater illusion into what is in our world. So small stones can be powerful if you know what you have, if you know what they are, if you know how to use them. Uh, but, but I prefer and suggest if you're going for jewelry that you make your own, that you buy stones at your local fair, at your local rock shop, but then you take them to a qualified jeweler and have them spent for real. Often what you buy in terms of jewelry from these shops is not meant to last. It's not meant to endure. It's, it's not going to have, you know, especially for men viewing and watching who might be heavy on our jewelry, who might be hard on our jewelry. You know, I'm hard on my jewelry. I act in it, perform in it, do ritual work in it. Sometimes I'm completely not conscious of my jewelry. So it has to have strength. It has to have endurance. Uh, this is a phantom, too, by the way. This is a great example of a phantom with, uh, I believe, blue lace agate. But I have not had it scientifically tested. And it shows up in layers in a way that any geologist that I've uh, shown this ring to before um, said that they had never really seen. It's almost like a wet phone book. And some of you are too young to remember a phone book or a yellow pages or a white pages for that matter. But it looks, it's layered. You can literally see through the layers of that crystal phantom blue inclusion that's inside the stone. Literally see through the layer like a wet book. That's the best way I can describe it, like a wet book. Um, and so there are all sorts of small stones that have great power. But if you don't know what you're getting, you don't know what you're looking at, if you're not shopping at the right store, new age stores are going to sell foo-foo, uh, uh, trending, you know, stuff. What's going to sell, what's going to sell, what's going to get off the shelf, shelf fast. Um, now, in those shops, you still might find larger pieces more expensive pieces, but they're going to be on the shelf. They're going to be up higher. They're going to be locked away because they're they're not wanting them shoplifted from their shop, and they're not anticipating that the average buyer is going to come in ready to spend that level of money. Um, a crystal like this might cost you sixty or eighty dollars. Crystal like this might cost you a hundred and fifty dollars. Um, so. Size does matter in doing crystal work, but it matters even more in terms of establishing a piece that you're going to use as a uh, terminator. Not a terminator, a, 
uh, a talisman, um, something that's going to have amplified application attached to it. Okay. Um, Adwa also asked, what about wrapping them in copper? Does that change their ability? Copper is a great metal in that it is soft. It's relatively affordable. Um, it's easy to come by. I, I found copper on the street, uh, copper wire on the street, and have made bangles and earplugs and, and jewelry from it. You have some qualified expert craftsmen in our community, uh, rosters, dreadlocks, uh, uh, street vendors um, that have a skill with copper. Copper wrapping is great. However, if they're not a really good artist, a really good rapper, and they're not using heat, soldering, melting application, you're limited in what you can do. Um, you have to be careful about wrapping something that's going to survive and not fall out or not use your, lose your stone. So often when you buy pre-wrapped copper, they're using cheaper, inexpensive stones. You're prepared to lose a stone at some point. Um, another issue with copper that I have is cleaning it. Copper is not as easy to clean as, as, as silver or gold. Uh, silver or gold doesn't require a lot of cleaning. And even if it does, you know, I can wear this in the shower. I can run cold water on it. Um, copper, you're going to need a little bit more than that. Um, copper has an electrical component that gets into your uh, ethereal body. Uh, and that's why copper tarnishes. Copper changes. So if you're sick, if it's too hot, um, if you're under stress, um, anything like that, your copper is going to turn, and then you're going to want to clean it. Um, so getting behind the copper where it's closest to your, your stone, for instance, it's going to be difficult to do. I clean my copper with ketchup and hot sauce. There's a natural acidity within the ketchup and hot sauce that will clean your copper. If you're not careful, it will burn your copper and turn it into malachite. When your copper is turning dark, it's actually attempting to turn to malachite. And, and when you wear cheap jewelry, fake jewelry, and sometimes copper, it'll leave green residue on your wrist. That is malachite. So copper is, is really a valuable mineral stone, and it has its job to draw out to move electricity around. And, and when you wrap copper, now you're talking about that coil process by which we make electricity, by which we make uh, magnetic currency. So the wrapping of copper is great, but it's hard to clean. It's hard to keep at that because it resonates at a higher vibration when it's clean. I learned that wearing solid, Bangles of copper. I know this is silver, but I'm using it as an example. Solid bangles of copper like this. And I've seen them turn. I've seen them tarnish. I, I know how they act in the winter versus how they act in the summer. So I'm much more likely to wear copper when it's cold and in the winter versus when it's hot or in the summer. 
uh, because of that whole tarnishing turning process. And then the act of cleaning it is just, it's more than a notion. So I support the usage of copper in your magic, in your ritual work, in your spiritual work, in your comedic art and sciences, uh, even in your voodoo. Um, but there are much more useful ways to access it uh, and utilize it than just in, let's say, jewelry, for example. Uh, let's see. I hope I'm not skipping or missing anyone's question. I'm trying to stay in order here. I love Opalite. I have Opalite uh, earplugs. Opalite, however, are very um, easy to break and damage. So you have to be very careful with them. Um, okay, maybe I have addressed all the questions. Keona, am I missing something here? All is truly and indeed a blessing. It is 215. I'm grateful and appreciative to both my blog talk radio audience and those who held in there with me on both the phone line and in the live chat box. Also, I am humbled and honored and grateful for my live YouTube live audience at youtube.com forward slash Budutas. I'm always appreciative of those who choose to join me here every day in the middle of your day to be a part of this powerful, life-changing show. Um, I, I use this as an opportunity to have access to the community, the community to have access to me for free uh, before you choose to send a donation for a reading or a ritual service or a ceremony or, or to initiate with me and, and with my community. Um, and that's why I do this show. I'm certainly grateful that you all continue to show up and show out and, and be present with me here at noon. I invite you to return to, with me again on my next episode of Revolutionary Hoodoo, New Orleans Hoodoo Secrets and Recipes, here on both YouTube Live and Blog Talk Radio tomorrow at high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time. Remember that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test, one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. Blog Talk Radio, you're going to close out with some music. Green Green Suit by Ben Hunter. Dash of cayenne to the root Gonna put on my Greek grease suit Boil a gumbo Hot and steady Don't care if Freddy ready Gonna pray at that old cemetery Down on Claiborne where she's buried Build a fire on the bayou When a black cat scratched at two Under a full moon that's blue Chant the magic words, Kufaru A dash of cayenne 
to the room Gonna put on my Greek grease suit Black top hat Black suit too Single ride that Moses through I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you Can't see my eyes, black shades too A dash of cayenne to the roof Gonna put on my green Black top hat, black suit too, same old ride that Moses threw. I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you, can't see my eyes, black shades too. Going spray at the old cemetery, down on Claybone where she's buried, a dash of cayenne. To the roof, gonna put on my Greek grease suit. Yeah, black top hat, black suit too. Same old ride that Moses threw. I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you Can't see my eyes, black sheets too Gonna pray at that old cemetery Down on Claybone where she's buried A dash of cayenne to the room Gonna put on my green suit